Now a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, this from the 10th chapter, verse 46 through 52. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, Call him forward. They called to the blind man, Be encouraged. Get up. He's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, Go. Your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. What a delightful story. A blind man forced to beg because of his disability hears that Jesus is coming and he shouts out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him and calls him and heals him. Immediately the man regains his sight and follows after Jesus. Isn't that just about as good as it gets? A miracle, a story of restored sight of one who advocates for himself despite all of the naysayers, a story of one who finds community in the companionship of Jesus's followers. Let me see again, the blind man says. And Mark tells us he does. Bartimaeus was blind, and so the miracle he longed for was, of course, the restoration of sight. Now, I do not mean this in an insensitive manner whatsoever, but I have a question for you. Is seeing really all it's cracked up to be? I only ask because of what's been happening with Jesus' disciples at this point. After half-healing another blind man a couple of chapters before in the same gospel, it takes two attempts to restore that person's sight. Jesus works just as hard to open the eyes of the disciples. So I'm asking you for just a moment to consider that there is a strong possibility that when the gospel author narrated these stories, they were not just talking about physical sight. Perhaps they were talking about a way of seeing life or seeing the world or seeing Jesus' ministry as it actually was. Not just with physical eyes, but with deep clarity and understanding. In Caesarea Philippi, the author writes about Jesus telling them that, quote, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the religious authorities and be killed and after three days will be raised up. Upon hearing this, what does Peter do? Anybody? Bible trivia. 
He rebukes Jesus. He cannot see what Jesus is trying to teach him and tell him, and yet his physical eyes seem to be working just fine. Then, passing on through Galilee, Jesus tells the disciples again that the Son of Man will be betrayed, will be killed, and will be eventually raised. But, Mark narrates it as so, they did not understand him, and they were afraid to ask him. They could not see, and yet their physical eyes seemed to be working just fine. Yet again, as they were going up to Jerusalem, where he will be betrayed and killed, Mark writes that Jesus tries one last time to show the disciples what is about to transpire. The Son of Man will be handed over. He'll be executed. He'll rise. In an odd response to Jesus' words, brothers James and John ask him for the right and left-hand seats when Jesus finally takes the throne of this new kingdom he's been announcing, and you can almost hear Jesus sigh. Oh, James and John still don't see it. Yet their physical eyes seem to be working just fine. Is seeing really all it's cracked up to be? It's really easy now for us today sitting in a comfortable place where we are in our lives to criticize the disciple for their inability to see the things Jesus is showing them. But the things he's showing them, or let's say trying to show them in Mark's gospel, they're really not all that easy to deal with if we really look at what it is. For he's trying to open their eyes to some really uncomfortable, actually terrifying, awful things. Suffering, betrayal, and death. What might any of us do if our beloved teacher had told us these things? Some things are just too hard to stare in the face. Some things we don't really want to see if we're being completely honest. Some things are better left alone. Sometimes we prefer to live in denial. Seeing isn't all it's cracked up to be. Chances are we've all turned a blind eye to some things in our own lives at some point through the years that, quite frankly, we would have rather not seen. It's much easier to focus only on the happy parts of life, and especially in church talk, it's much easier to focus on the happy parts of faith. You know, that God loves us all. That's happy. God desires our well-being. That's wonderful. We find hope in God. Amen. Or even how great it feels to serve others. You know what I'm talking about. It's wonderful to get to do some things that are definitely helping other people. Feeding the hungry or clothing the naked. Everyone cheers us on when we feed and clothe others. But what are we also doing to prevent the hungry and the naked from ending up in these terrible situations? When we go to solve the systemic problems that surround poverty, for example... Others can quickly criticize us, and well, that doesn't feel nearly as happy, does it? But isn't solving the problems that causes hunger and poverty, aren't those, isn't that also God's work? You see, faith doesn't involve only the happy parts, does it? 
A mature faith also engages the difficult parts of life, things like sexism and homophobia and systemic racism and the gun violence that is just rampant, that our country is drunk on these days, the suffering, the betrayal, the death, the poverty and human trafficking and corporate corruption and domestic violence. You see, a mature faith doesn't hide or look away from things just because others might disagree or label them too political to deal with. The gospel itself is very political because the gospel message of Jesus Christ seeks to change the rules we all agree to live by. And by definition, folks, that's political. A mature faith wrestles with the issues in front of them when the suffering of any human being is involved. It gets messy. It gets complicated. Even a person with the tiniest shred of faith can look on the happy parts of life, but mature faith dares to look at the ugly, messy, sloppy, difficult parts of life too and to engage in the struggles. But really seeing the hard parts of life, if we're being honest, it takes a toll on us. There's a price it exacts from us. When we see the world's brokenness, we lose a tiny part of our own innocence. When we see the world's brokenness, we absorb some of the suffering. That's just the way that it works. When we see the world's brokenness, we feel compelled to change our lives, their lives, maybe even the world. Author Nora Gallagher puts it this way. I remember thinking as I worked in the soup kitchen that I didn't want to know what I was learning because then my life couldn't go on in the same way as it had before, driving around in my shiny, nice red Volvo, thinking about what new linens to buy. What we learn, Nora said, we cannot unlearn. What we see, we cannot unsee. So yes, it's easy to criticize Jesus' disciples, for not seeing the truth, Mark's gospel had him trying to show them. But maybe the disciples not seeing the, was some kind of a, a self-defense system subconsciously. You know, maybe down deep they knew that once they really saw what Jesus was showing them, they wouldn't be able to unsee it ever again. Once they got what he was saying about the reality of the world and just how bad it truly was, their lives were going to have to change. Once they got that following Jesus would lead them to suffering and betrayal and death, their rose-colored glasses that they viewed their faith and the world through would no longer sustain them. Maybe the disciples avoided seeing what Jesus was showing them because deep down they knew something we need to remember. Seeing the world as it is can be dangerous. <clears throat> Consider photojournalist Kevin Carter's tragic story. In 1993, while covering the famine in the Sudan, Carter took what became one of the most famous pictures of the whole world when he photographed a small girl 
who had collapsed while on her way walking to a food station. And just a few feet behind the starving girl, a vulture stalked her body, waiting to eat her remains. In May of 1994, Carter won a Pulitzer Prize for that photograph. And two months later, he died by suicide. A close friend of Carter's said that after shooting that photo of the starving girl, Kevin sat under a tree and cried and chain-smoked for days and could not distance himself from the horror of what he saw. He could not unsee what he had seen with his eyes that burned into his soul. We so often long to see miracles, but what happens when the miracle actually comes along? And in this case, to stay with this metaphor, what happens when we can finally see the world as it is? Seeing can be quite dangerous. It can call into question everything we've ever believed. It can dismantle our faith. Truly seeing things as they are can dismantle our theology. Seeing things as they are can dismantle our worldview. It can mess up our patterns of regular life. It messes with us when we see things as they truly are sometimes. Seeing can devastate us. I wonder, can we survive the miracle we've been hoping for when the miracle we've been hoping for is to truly see the world as God sees the world. A big part of following Jesus is seeing things as they really are. Why else would he try to show his disciples not once, not twice, but three times what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem? Seeing things as they truly are is crucial to the life of faith, but maybe one of the more difficult reckonings we ever have to come to grips with when it actually happens. But if seeing is important to the life of faith and also has the potential to devastate us at the same time, what are we to do? Do we keep our hearts open but our eyes closed? Do we keep our eyes open, but our hearts closed? Is there some way as a person of faith to keep both our eyes and our hearts open? What I'm asking is, are there some miracles we'd be better off to quit hoping for? Here's how Bartimaeus survived it. He started with Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And first he acknowledges Jesus, and then he's healed. So first Bartimaeus trusts in this Jesus that he sees. And before Bartimaeus looks at anything, Jesus becomes the context. For he did not have his sight in the story until Jesus gave it to him. I think that's what we're supposed to get from this. And so after his healing, Bartimaeus won't see anything, chances are, if we could ask him, without thinking of the one who healed him. Because without the one who healed him, he wouldn't have seen anything in the first place. So before the first ray of light hits the first molecule of either retina, Jesus becomes the lens through which Bartimaeus will see the world. 
What does it mean for Jesus to be the lens through which we view the world? When we look at the world through the lens of Jesus, it is true. We will see suffering. We will see betrayal. We will see death. It's unavoidable. The world is broken in so many places. A mature faith looks at those places and sees those places. But as Jesus tried to show his disciples time and time again, when you look at the world, even at its ugliest, hardest, most fragile places, when you see the world through the lens of Jesus, you also see the incredible cycle, an incredible metaphor, an incredible power and foundation for living. Resurrection. Now, you might have to look at the ugly, hard, fragile things a long time before it happens, but eventually, always through the lens of Jesus, in terms of his story as people of faith, people who follow the way of Jesus, our imaginations are drawn to resurrection. And like many Jesus encountered, we long for breakthroughs that we might even call miracles. But how do we people of faith survive the moment our eyes are restored? How do we survive a miracle, a shift where we see things more clearly? Well, we follow the example of Bartimaeus. We begin with seeing Jesus who's standing right there in front of us as we try to follow his coattails. We try to follow his wisdom, his moral courage. Who did he choose? Jesus chose the disenfranchised. Jesus chose the messy, the downtrodden, the forgotten, those that the religious majority didn't have room for, and those the government and wealthiest citizens of his day considered freeloaders. Does any of that sound vaguely parallel to the things going on today? How do we see those on life's margins when we look through the lens of Jesus today? How do we see the world? and the people in it. I suppose our answers will reveal whether or not we're ready to survive the miracle of having our sight restored. May God help us with what we see. Amen.